Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 15th of February 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself Rob, Christine, Angela, Ian, Liz, Helen, Mina, Pete, Simon, and not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition we have, Local News for the Black Country, an update from Beacon, information about video magnifiers, the quiz with Mina, the latest news from West Bromwich Albion and Wolves, a Did You Know section for Flashback Roger, the weather for the week ahead. Another episode of our fortnightly feature, the 10 Today Gentle Exercise Sessions. And with February known as the Month of Love, we have part one of a touching bestseller from Scottish author Liz McIntyre Allen, who recalls a real-life World War II love story. Local news to start, though, with Liz, Christine, Ian, but first, it's Angela. West Midlands Fire Service have shared images of the devastating aftermath following the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Eight West Midlands Fire Service personnel, who are part of the wider UK International Search and Rescue Team, have travelled to Turkey as part of the UK's response to the disaster that has affected the south of the country and northern Syria. The images show collapsed buildings and rubble covering streets, It has now been confirmed that the UK is sending life-saving equipment to Turkey and Syria following the earthquake, which has killed over 30,000 people and injured and displaced millions more. The 7.8 magnitude quake hit southern Turkey in the early hours of last Monday, followed by powerful aftershocks, reducing thousands of buildings across the country and northern Syria to rubble as people slept. The UK government announced last week that it was providing thousands of medical kits, tents and blankets to help survivors amid freezing temperatures in both countries. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly said, Our priority is to ensure life-saving assistance is given to those most in need, coordinated with the Turkish government, UN and international partners. The UK is also sending medics, having already flown a team of 76 search and rescue specialists, complete with state-of-the-art equipment and four specially trained dogs to the countries. It comes as a UK appeal to help earthquake survivors in Turkey and Syria has already raised over £60 million in the first few days. Dozens of extra hospital beds, new facilities and an expansion of virtual wards 
will aim to tackle the long emergency care delays in the black country, health chiefs have announced in a joint government and NHS England two-year blueprint last week. The measures are being backed by £1 billion of investment in hope of easing some of the huge challenges facing the NHS. Richard Beacon, chairman of the Black Country Urgent and Emergency Care Board, said, In the main, it will give us the green light to take the beds which open temporarily and make them more permanent, providing we can staff them. It is about an extra ward's worth of beds, around 25, for every hospital in the Black Country. Mr Beacon, who is also Chief Executive of Sandwell and West Birmingham NHS Trust, said a new modular building is also being built at Sandwell Hospital, which will house a same-day emergency care unit. The new facility could allow up to 30 people a day to avoid an overnight hospital stay, he said. The unit, which will be run by senior doctors and allow patients to be assessed, diagnosed and start treatment on the same day, aims to be up and running by late February or early March. There are also plans to expand the use of virtual wards in the black country, where patients with certain conditions can receive care in their own home through video calls and tech devices to help them self-monitor and remotely report back their own vitals. Senior and specialist nursing staff are also being recruited to support those plans, Mr Beacon said. Dudley's pilot virtual children's ward was a national first and has since been rolled out to all other black country trusts. A device being trialled to patients in Wolverhampton with certain infections could keep them out of hospital, saving up to 500 bed days a year. For the next three months, 20 patients treated at New Cross Hospital for bronchiectasis, a long-term condition where the airways become widened, will use machines the size of a small drinks can to administer their IV antibiotics for up to 24 hours. The devices will provide the respiratory centre at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust with another way to either avoid admission or to help to discharge people who need a prolonged course of IV antibiotics but who otherwise don't need to be in hospital. Nikki McDuff, nurse consultant at the respiratory centre, said this trial will hopefully reap many benefits in terms of patient flow and freeing up beds. This will also significantly reduce community nursing time and allow an increased number of patients to be eligible for treatment at home. Based on 2019 data, we estimate this could save in the region of 500 bed days per year. If this could be rolled out beyond the respiratory centre, the number of patients who could be treated at home could increase more rapidly. Fitted in hospital to patients or by community nurses in their homes, the devices are kept in the fridge before being attached, normally via a vein in the crook of the arm. This should also prove popular with patients and their families as patients can place the machine in a carry pouch and then go about their daily business, including showering and sleeping, all in the comfort of their own home. But users are encouraged to use progress charts supplied to them so they can follow the progress of their infusions and inform staff of any issues. Global suppliers Baxter International supply sharp spins for disposal but is looking at ways of recycling the devices in the future. Already being used in more than 60 UK hospitals, patients report they don't realise the devices are there and that they have just got their lives back. 
A request for rusks, rattles and nappies has been made to help complete a new exhibition at the Black Country Living Museum. Work is well underway on the museum's new 1960s Mother and Baby Centre, which is a recreation of Wolverhampton's Lee Road Infant Welfare Centre. The Infant Welfare Centre will enable the museum to tell the story of the birth of the NHS, the growing community of Commonwealth nurses and doctors who brought their skills to the black country in the 1950s and 60s, and the lives of young women and children in this period. It will also help inform visitors' understanding of public health in the present day. In the museum's recreation, visitors will be able to explore the main hall, doctor's surgery and dispensary, as well as meeting brand new characters who will share what life was like as doctors and midwives of the 1960s. To help complete their recreation, the museum is seeking donations of objects from the late 1950s, which would have been commonplace in the centre. This might include changing bags, nappies, food packaging such as orange juice or cod liver oil bottles, milk tins or rusk boxes, or toys which would have been available for little ones to play with while their mothers consulted with the midwives. Having first been established in 1928, the centre became part of the brand new NHS 20 years later. The main hall was a waiting room which doubled up as a venue for antenatal and mother craft classes, baby clothes sales and as a social gathering for new mothers, always with a fresh cup of tea in hand. Anyone with any items they wish to donate to the museum can do so via email on collections at bclm.com or contact by telephone on 0121-520-5600. Up next, we hear from Helen who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon, back with your weekly update. Now first up this week, we're really excited to tell you that we've now transported more than 100 people to activities across the West Midlands as part of our work on the Community Transport Association's Tackling Loneliness Project. We're delighted to be part of this national programme to connect people with their communities and alleviate feelings of loneliness and isolation. If you'd like to find out if our transport service can help you, call 01902 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. Now, are you having a clear out at home this month? Well, did you know that we can collect your good quality furniture for free? You can call our retail team to book a collection on 01902 and help us to do more for people with sight loss. Did you know that February is a payroll giving month? Woohoo! Well, if you can donate to Beacon directly from your paycheck, it can make a real difference for us. If you're in work, your accounts department can sort it for you. It's quick, easy and tax-free. Win-win, eh? To find out more how you can make a difference, head to our website www.beaconvision.org forward slash give hyphen as hyphen you hyphen n. Now, last up this week, I have a lovely little story for you. Making a difference is at the heart of what we do at Beacon. So we are delighted that our BBO Bridges team has won a Positive Advocate Award for helping people to find work or improve their skills. The team received the accolades at a Building Better Opportunities Bridges Evaluation event along with another local charity, Ideal for All. Both our organisations were found to provide alternative solutions to enable people to reach their dreams and goals and prove that nothing
nothing is impossible. Well, I couldn't have put that better myself. Well done, team. The BBA Bridges Project is funded by the European Social Fund and the National Lottery Community Fund. And we so appreciate it as well. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Cheers that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. Asda has announced a partnership with Quaker Oats to offer children a free, warm breakfast across the February half-term holidays. Children will be able to get a free bowl of porridge from 8am to 12 noon every day in 205 Asda cafes across the half-term on top of the existing £1 kids main meal deal. The partnership is expected to enable more than 50,000 bowls of porridge to be served to children across the country. Recent research from charity Magic Breakfast has shown that 81% of schools believe that child hunger has increased in their community in the last year, and 94% believe poverty has increased. Additionally, 95% of schools agree that breakfast provision has positively impacted concentration in class, and 87% agree that it alleviates pressure on family budgets. The new free offer means that families are now able to access both a free children's breakfast and a main meal for just £1 in all Asda cafes in a bid to continue to help customers manage the cost of living crisis. The current Kids for £1 menu includes a choice of one of six hot meals or a cold pick-and-mix sandwich meals deal for £1. Last month, Asda also announced the extension of its over-60s winter warmer £1 soup cafe initiatives until the end of March. Digbeth Dining Club is opening a permanent venue in the black country called the Dock Works. The popular Birmingham Street food company will trade from Mary Hill's waterfront after several successful events during its 10th anniversary year in 2022. The Dock Works located on The Cut, will be a weekly street food venue, marketplace and community space, which will see nightlife seekers and families alike enjoying an array of regularly changing street food traders. The new event space, which will offer live music, comedy nights, Sunday morning markets and other events similar to those at its Hockley Social Club in the Jewellery Quarter and Herbert's Yard in Longbridge. Jack Brabant, co-founder of Digbeth Dining Club, said... From the moment we started doing the Waterfront Dining Club, we knew that a permanent home was the thing we wanted to deliver there. It's a truly incredible sight. The waterfront is beautiful, right on the side of the cut as it's called, and it's a brilliant sun trap for those upcoming summer days. There's also a huge free car park across the road, and it's all linked up to some great public transport links thanks to the proximity of Merry Hill. He added, over the last 12 months, our pop-up waterfront dining club has welcomed over 3,000 people each Friday night. So we know that the appetite for this sort of venue is definitely there. And we are really excited to get the venue up and running. We want this to be a flagship venue for us, like Herbert's Yard is in Longbridge, which has the community as a real focal point in our ethos. Our aim is to really add to and enhance the fabric of Briley Hill and the wider Dudley region, and we hope that the locals love it just as much as we are going to. Opening this spring, there will also be a monthly dock market, which will encourage local independent bakers, makers and curators to sell their products and artisan goods 
while the team will also be working closely alongside the community to open a gallery space where local artists will be given the opportunity to showcase their creations and pieces. The Dockworks will open in the spring. Sign up to their mailing list at thedockworks.com or follow them on Instagram and Twitter at the.doc.works. Box Space, Wolverhampton's new £6 million city centre entertainment and events venue, is set to open in 2024 and has been hailed as a major milestone in the transformation of the city centre. Bulldozers will soon move in to raise a row of derelict shops to the ground, so work on the exciting entertainment venue can get underway. It is hoped the £6 million venture, built using shipping container-style cabins, will attract tens of thousands of visitors each year. The scheme, which includes demolition, land remediation of the site and the purchase of new shipping containers, will be funded through a combination of the Government's Future High Streets Fund and investment from City of Wolverhampton Council. Preparatory works will start this week, ahead of machines moving in to remove derelict shops at 1 to 7A Cleveland Street, which include a former carpet shop, estate agents and Indian restaurant. Box space will then be built on the cleared site and the car park sitting between Cleveland Street and Bell Street. Councillor Steve Evans, the city's cabinet member for environment and climate change, said this is a major milestone in the exciting transformation of the west of the city centre that will boost footfall and create invaluable employment and business opportunities. These type of box spaces, using shipping container style cabins, are hugely popular in other areas of the country, such as Newcastle, London, Sheffield and Sunderland, and will be a superb addition complementing Wolverhampton's existing leisure, events and evening economy. A unique exhibition has been shining a light on disability and toys over the years. The Disability and the Home Toys and Games exhibition is being held at the Museum of the Home in London, but is a homegrown project by Digital Disability in Wolverhampton, a group helping disabled people across the city. Funded with support from the National Lottery Heritage Fund, the exhibition is the first of its kind looking at disability toys, led by Dr Paul Dark, who has developed the exhibition on disability and toys from the last 60 years. He said, For disabled children, seeing themselves reflected in the toys that they and their friends play with can help combat isolation and build self-esteem. Since the early 1900s, toys have been used to explain medical procedures to children with disabilities. In the 1960s, toy production began to reflect changing attitudes towards disability and toys designed purely for play became available. We at Digital Disability hope that the new Barbie movie, the summer blockbuster of 2023, will include disabled characters as in their collection. The exhibition includes content from the Tettenhall Transport Heritage Centre, with the centre loaning their hob cart from their collection, a hand-propelled pedal car for disabled children designed and built by engineer students in Wolverhampton, made at WH Hobson Limited, Precision Engineers Apprentices Association in 1969. There are also Playmobil, Lego, Doctor Who and Game of Thrones characters, Racing Grannies, Barbies and Paralympic Becky, Joe Swanson, Stephen Hawking and many more. The exhibition runs until March the 26th and can be seen 
by going to Museum of the Home on Kingsland Road in London. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. What were fig rolls first invented as? Question 2. How were biscuits used to sweeten the breath? Question 3. What was used to flavour the first biscuits? Question 4. Who were gingerbread men modelled on? Question 5. Which biscuit manufacturer is credited with inventing digestive biscuits? And finally, question 6. Where on the Isle of Wight gives its name to a biscuit? I will be back with you later in the show, but for now, best of luck! Cheers those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. A memorial dinner to be set later this month will honour the tragic passing of the black country football legend Duncan Edwards. The dinner, hosted by Duncan Edwards United, is honouring the 65th anniversary of the football legend's passing, inviting Manchester United fans everywhere to show their support. The memorial group has been hosting the dinner since 2001, with the aim of celebrating the legacy of the legendary Edwards and the other Busby babes who tragically died in the Munich air disaster in 1958. Jim Cadman, chief organiser of Duncan Edwards United, said, For over 20 years, our sole aim has been to promote the heritage of Duncan Edwards, both as a man and a football legend. He gave so much to Manchester United, the England international team, and to his hometown of Dudley. This year's event will be held on February the 21st at Copthorne Hotel on the waterfront Dudley, where Mr Cadman is inviting Manchester United fans everywhere to attend and support the commemorative evening. Mr Cadman continued, Our most fervent wish in the short term is to create closer links with the fan base of Manchester United and share with the history, information and memorabilia about arguably the greatest player to have worn the red shirt. All profits from the dinner are set to be donated to the Duncan Edwards Peace Field Project, which recently saw the football pitch at Dudley's Dell Stadium, renamed the Duncan Edwards Peace Field in 2021. For information on tickets, please contact Jim Cadman via jwc at duncanedwardsunited.com. Campaigners are celebrating after the Wolverhampton Environment Centre was saved from development. More than 1,000 people got involved in the effort to reverse Wolverhampton Council's decision to include the parkland in the local plan to build homes in the city. Leader of the Conservatives on the Council, Technorland Whittick Councillor Wendy Thompson, said she was overjoyed with the victory. She said the Wolverhampton Environment Centre should never have been included in a development plan. The intention to build homes on the site should never have even surfaced because it makes no sense at all. Just over 10% of Wolverhampton is green space, so every single piece of parkland is precious, and that's why so many people visit the centre. Tetton Hall Whittick councillor Ellis Turrell also works on the campaign to save the WEC. He said, This precious piece of green belt land forms part of the Smesto Valley Nature Reserve, and it is used by many people far and wide who come to enjoy its natural beauty. 
We have fiercely campaigned against the council's plan to build homes here, and we finally won. Special thanks to those who have led the community fight back over the years. When local residents come together, this shows we can make a difference in our area. The Mayor of Dudley has officially opened a new £50,000 play area in the heart of Pensnet within the natural surroundings of the coppice. With access available via the high street, the new play area features swings, a multiplayer unit with a slide, along with an activity trail including stepping stones and a horizontal ladder. Picnic tables have also been installed and the Friends of the Coppice are looking to create a sensory garden. Dudley Council has worked closely with the Friends of Pensnet Coppice and invested £50,000 in the new children's facility. Councillor Sue Greenaway, the Mayor of Dudley, said, The new play area is a wonderful addition to Pensnet. It provides a local place for children to enjoy outdoor play within the beautiful and natural surroundings of the coppice. Thanks to everyone involved in making this project a reality, and I hope the children of Pensnet enjoy their new play area for generations to come. Mary Dumelow, member of the Friends of the Coppice, said, It was my grandson Callum who started the Friends of the Coppice group, and I'm proud of what the group has achieved so far. This play area was the dream of our former chair, Edna Lee, who sadly passed away in 2020. Though Edna may no longer be with us and didn't get to see the completed play area, we are so very happy to have delivered this in Edna's honour for the Pensnet community. I'm from Wolverhampton. How dare you name our city as one of the worst places to live? Proud Wolfrunians need to stand up for our Boston city after it has once again taken an absolute battering in yet another ridiculous survey, writes Emma Walker of The Express and Star. Every year, some website or another posts a list of the worst places to live and, as predicted, Wolverhampton has once more landed a place right on up there with the very worst. Rubbish-ridden, full of countless chavs, yobs causing havoc and dodgy-looking people are just some of the brazen terms used to describe this beating heart of the black country. But enough is enough. We ain't all like that, bub. As someone born and bred in this city, I have heard my fair share of the negativity over the years. And yes, like everywhere else in this struggling country, we have been hit by ongoing infrastructure works, the cost of living crisis and rising unemployment. But there's so much to shout about too, and I couldn't feel more proud of where I'm from. Us Wolfrunians are a proud bunch and you won't find better, more down-to-earth people anywhere else in the world. We aren't all yobs or chavs or little outs, drunken hooligans. That is just not true. It's the people that make up a city and we have the cream of the crop. Wolfrunians are hardworking, patriotic and determined. And that's not forgetting to mention our unique black country humour. Take Black Country Day. How many places have a whole day to celebrate where they live? Not to mention our unique dialect. Yeah, all right, bab. Rich industrial heritage and a love of our Premier League football team, Wolves, that binds us all together. And what about all of the city's famous sons and daughters? From Wolves and England footballer Billy Wright to pop stars such as Beverly Knight and Liam Payne, the city has produced more than its fair share of prominent people. 
great parks, historic buildings, perfect transport links and of course all of our brilliant black country boozers. Things are not all bad for Wolverhampton. So the boffins at website I Live Here can use all the tongue-in-cheek criticism that they like because us Wolfrinians know it is a fantastic place to live with a bright future. Up now, we hear from Pete. That was a piece all about video magnifiers and how they may be a benefit to you. If you're struggling with reading and need a magnifier, have you ever considered a video magnifier or sometimes known as a digital magnifier? Well, we can have a range of video magnifiers that you can come in and try. Now, a video magnifier, you can increase or decrease the magnification so you can turn it up a bit or you can turn it up quite a lot to help you read. You can change contrast settings on a video magnifier so you can look at something in true colour or you could change the contrast to black on white or white on black or yellow on black or black on yellow. It's whatever works best for you so there's a range of combinations there that you can try to find the right one. You can also freeze images on a video magnifier. So let's say there's um, something in your fridge, a piece of some food. You could take a little picture because the angle's a bit difficult to read of it and then bring the magnifier away and then zoom it up. So if it's something like the sell-by dates or ingredients on food, you can read it comfortably there. So video magnifiers range from small handheld magnifiers you can sit comfortably in an armchair to read with up to medium-sized ones, which is about the size of laptops, and then there's desktop magnifiers with big, large 24-inch screens, which really make magnification strong. So, if you would like to try a video magnifier to see if that would help you, you're very welcome to. Just call Beacon's Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment. And remember, bring something you struggle to read with you. So if you'd like to try a video magnifier, give us a call on 01902 880 and ask for a site loss advisor. 01902 Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear from Liz. Historic stamps depicting King Charles are being printed by a specialist firm that is based here in the West Midlands. The new stamps are being created by specialist printing press Cartor Security Printers at its plant, which sits close to JLR alongside the M54. Chairman Ian Brigham said, All of us at Cartor are immensely proud to be able to print the new King Charles stamps at the Wolverhampton plant, particularly as the factory was opened by the late Queen Elizabeth II and the postage stamp was a British invention, still of interest to philatelists all around the world. The new stamps with the image of the king will not be a common sight on our letters for a time to come, though, as the Royal Mail has such a huge stock of stamps with Queen Elizabeth's image on that it is holding back the mass distribution of the new design. They officially go on sale on April the 4th, but may not become widespread until the early summer. For the first time, Charles's portrait will appear on stamps in his role as monarch, and the simple, uncluttered design draws inspiration from stamps that featured the late Queen. David Gold of the Royal Mail said they received guidance from the King to maintain continuity, and Charles did not want existing stamp stocks showing the Queen pulped or shredded, but used up over time. 
The new stamp design features Charles's head and neck, and the king is shown facing left, as all monarchs have done since the penny black. The world's first postage stamp issued in 1840 with Queen Victoria's image. Mr. Gold said, Personally, I think what marks this stamp out is that there is no embellishment at all, no crown, just simply the face of the human being on the plain background, almost saying, This is me and I'm at your service, which I think in this modern age is rather humbling. Stafford educated design guru Sir Johnny Ive has created an emblem inspired by the king's love of the planet, nature, and his deep concern for the natural world to mark the monarch's coronation. Sir Johnny designed the iPhone, iPod, and Mac, some of the best loved gadgets of the modern age. Now, he and his creative collective, Love From, have produced the insignia to celebrate Charles's new reign. It features a stylized image of St Edward's crown, which will be used to crown the monarch, created from the Rose of England, Thistle of Scotland, Daffodil of Wales and the Shamrock of Northern Ireland in the red, white and blue of the Union flag. Sir Johnny said, The emblem speaks to the happy optimism of spring and celebrates the beginning of this new Carolean era for the United Kingdom. It acknowledges both the joyful and profound importance of this occasion. The coronation emblem will feature throughout a special bank holiday weekend, which will begin when Charles is crowned monarch on Saturday, May the 6th at Westminster Abbey. It will also be seen at other national events, street parties and community gatherings marking the historic event and be used on all official merchandise commemorating the coronation. Sir Johnny has supported projects involving Charles in the past, having designed the layout of the charter document for the Royal's Terra Carta, or Earth Charter, project launched in 2021. The two men also joined forces in 2021 to encourage students to create high-impact, low-cost solutions to help the world transition to a sustainable future under a project from the Terra Carta Design Lab initiative. A private collection of paintings from a Staffordshire estate is hoped to make more than £80,000 at auction. The 25 artworks, which are being sold individually, come from Grade 2 listed The Wode House near Wombourne. Lots include seven paintings by little-known Wolverhampton artist James Shaw and a still life said to feature a valuable Stradivarius violin. Auctioneer Drew Wiatz described Mr Shaw as obscure but talented. One picture is reputed to depict the Hellier Stradivarius violin, one of the best preserved of its kind. Brandon Lindbergh from Driwiatz said the collection of old masters and British pictures was important since many of the artworks had never been on the market. It is rare to find ancestral collections like this, as many have been sold over the past 50 years, he said. Those that are left are often in houses that are looked after by the National Trust, English Heritage or the Historic Houses Association. The Wodehouse was acquired by the Hellier family in the early 18th century. The Stradivarius, said to be one of the best preserved of its kind, was owned by the family for more than 200 years, said the auctioneers. The painting in which the instrument is believed to feature is expected to reach up to £3,000. The Wodehouse estate was inherited from Sir Samuel Hellier, Works by James Shaw, who trained at the Royal Academy in 1769, shine an important light on his achievements, said Drewiatz. 
Mr. Shaw was the younger brother of Reverend Thomas Shaw Hellier, who changed his name in 1786 after inheriting the estate from lifelong friend Sir Samuel Hellier. The estate has now passed to distant relatives. The auction will take place on the 2nd of March. People should be vigilant to not fall foul of romance scams on Valentine's Day whilst looking for love, police officials have said. Victims Commissioner Nikki Brennan issued a warning with fraudsters experienced in spinning stories to help lure victims in. It comes after West Midlands Police recorded 359 reports of romance fraud in 2021 alone, with online scammers being a major reason. Ms Brennan said, I have heard countless stories from people across the West Midlands who have been approached by scammers while looking for love. February is a time of year when more people are looking online for a possible match, but I would warn people to be very careful when disclosing information. Fraudsters can be experienced in spinning stories to lure victims in, so I would urge everyone to read up on advice before taking any relationship to the next level. The offence occurs when criminals feign romantic intentions towards their intended victim and use the nature of their relationship to fraudulently obtain money or sensitive information. Police officials have also warned that scammers may prefer to move communications away from dating websites and suggest moving to instant messaging, texts or phone calls instead. They have been known to ask lots of personal questions, avoid answering personal questions about themselves and when they do, they seem made up and then they try to establish a bond quickly, telling potential victims they have never felt like this before. People have also asked to be on their guard for when a person asks for financial help, with the culprit complaining about money issues frequently. And they have said another telltale sign is they never meet the victim, promising to see them but cancelling every time or offering excuses like financial troubles. Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello again everyone. Did you get inundated with Valentine's cards and gifts this year? Well I stood waiting for the postman ready for the host of cards to come through the door and guess what? Yes, you've got it. Nothing arrived as usual. Oh well, I did get to replenish my custard creams last week at least, and it did get me thinking about biscuits. Now then, did you know that? The fig roll was invented as a health food. Medieval Muslims were the first to add sugar to the dough for twice-baked bread and transform biscuits into a luxurious health food. Then a medieval Arab physician recommended eating biscuits filled with warming figs and nuts. But the first biscuit recipe came to Britain in an Italian alchemy come medical handbook. The instructions on how to make these tasty morsels flavoured with musk and aniseed could be found alongside plague remedies, tips on curing the stench of toes or gout, and how to find gold with salamanders. 17th century gentlefolk dunked their hard sponge fingers in the sweet wine served at the end of a meal. This is why sponge fingers, long de chat and biscotti are long and thin, so that they could fit into narrow glasses. Guests would be given special toasting biscuits, which had patriotic symbols such as coats of arms printed on them, and they could dunk them in their glasses. And gingerbread men are modelled on Guy Fawkes. 
after the gunpowder plot in 1605, when a new tradition spread through England. The biscuit figures sold at fairs featured figures of him, hence the association of gingerbread always with bonfire night. In 19th century newspapers, it is believed, Victorian gentlemen were martyrs to an epidemic of flatulence. McVitie's is credited with having invented the digestive biscuit as a remedy for disordered stomachs. When they added baking soda to their recipe, helpfully guard against such windy conditions. And Queen Victoria refused to have a biscuit named after her. Marie Biscuits were named after a Russian duchess, Bourbons after a French royal house, Albert Biscuits after Queen Victoria's husband. However, Victoria declined Hundy and Palmer's request to name one after her. The palace suggested that they should instead name it after her favourite home on the Isle of Wight. And so it came to be that the Osborne Biscuits became one of the most popular 19th century biscuits. Oh blimey, who'd have thought our biscuit tins were so full of history, traditions and cures for ailments. My biscuit tin though is mostly full of crumbs from my indulgences. Oh well, I'll put the kettle on, make a brew and dunk away to my heart's content. Till next week then, I'll say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Up now, we're to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us as always by Mina. weather for this week ahead is forecast to be dry and very settled with plenty of sunny spells. Temperatures are forecast to be rather mild for this time of year with the chance of even reaching 14 degrees. So we may just find our gardens to be a joy of bursting bird song. The increasing chance of sunshine means UV levels are expected to be varying between low to medium. The sunrise and sunset times are 7.05am for the sunrise and 17.40pm for the sunset. For Friday 17th of February, the forecast is looking dry but cloudy throughout the day. However, even with a moderate breeze, temperatures should still spring up to a maximum of 14 degrees. This cloudy pattern will continue as we move into Saturday, but we may start to see our first sunny intervals later in the afternoon, allowing temperatures to hold up to 12 degrees. This cloud shouldn't be setting in for long though, as from the crack of dawn on Sunday morning, we should see the start of some long sunny spells with temperatures at 12 degrees, giving another pleasant feel to the end of the weekend. On to next week and the outlook remains bright, with long sunny intervals set to hit the region right through to Thursday 23rd of February, with temperatures continuing to hold up really well all week hovering around 12 degrees. It looks like spring may be sprung upon us. So, that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Up now, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. A week is a long time in football. And last weekend's buoyant scenes were soon extinguished by Friday night as Albion's away struggles continued down the road at Blues with the Baggies whimpering to a 2-0 defeat. The St Andrews hosts completing a double of the Baggies for the first time since the 1998-1999 season. Albion headed into the local derby in positive light 
having fended off interest in Carlos Corberan from Premier League Leeds United and extending the head coach's contract by two years until 2027. But Albion's difficulties away from the Hawthorns have now resulted in three straight defeats in all competitions. Such struggles and general nervousness providing plenty of cause for concern for Albion fans in the playoff chase. It was a rotten start for the visitors who opted for the same starting eleven as seven days earlier in the home victory over Coventry. As Manchester United loney Hannibal caught out Albion goalkeeper David Button by sneaking a free kick in at the near post. The visitors didn't recover and it was another limp start to a half for Corberan's side. A small hill to scale turned into a mountain seven minutes into the restart as another dead ball undid Albion. This time Bielik heading in from a corner as Button, culpable once more, missed his punch. It got no better for the visitors for whom more home comforts against Blackburn on Wednesday are required. In his post-match analysis, Albion boss Carlos Corberan felt goalkeeper David Button failed to react to his mistake in the miserable 2-0 defeat. I think the first goal affected him too much, Corberan said of Button. The fact that he conceded that goal, it's a goal we don't want him to be surprised by, but it surprised him. He was waiting for the cross. When you are a player who is not competing at the level that you expect from yourself, these goals can create and increase the doubts. It affected him too much. He was taking risks and making decisions which showed a level of personality. There weren't many chances for them where he could react to come back to the level of confidence you need to do it. Unfortunately, we conceded from the corner, an action he was involved in too. It's clear that it isn't a game that I know he is going to be happy with. I'm not happy with myself, and I know no players are going to be happy with today. It'd be easy now to say that we lost because of David, but I don't think so. We lost because in two actions, they surprised us, and then in the corner, we missed the action. With injured goalkeeper Alex Palmer facing up to seven weeks out, Corberan stopped short of saying he will take Button out of the firing line. But when asked on his team selection moving forward, he stressed he would analyse why the performance did not work collectively. And it was from Friday night calamity to chaos down on the south coast on Saturday. As Wolves hit back from being reduced to 10 men and a goal down at half-time to claim yet another famous comeback Kings victory against Southampton at St Mary's Stadium. It was an incredible end to a game lit up by controversy in the first half but one in which Wolves fully deserved their crucial three points, thanks to drawing on all their reserves of character and continuing to press forward in the second half. Wolves made one enforced change from the team which had beaten Liverpool 3-0 last weekend, the injured Huang Hee Chan, replaced by João Moutinho. The big team news arrived on the bench though, with the first appearance in the matchday squad for January signing João Gomez and the welcome return of Pedro Neto, absent with an ankle injury since the defeat at West Ham last October, which proved to be Bruno Lage's last game in charge. Southampton's recent run of form had promoted uncertainty around the future of boss Nathan Jones, but the home crowd got right behind their team from the off. Wolves were looking comfortable and confident in possession, but it was on the break that Saints were carrying a threat, with Suleimana looking dangerous. Referee Jared Gillett wasn't showing too much leniency, with soft free-kick decisions and yellow cards being brandished against Wolves' Lemina, Semedo and Ainuri early on. A dramatic couple of first-half minutes around the half-hour mark then saw Carlos Alcaraz fire home for the Saints before Lemina was controversially shown a second yellow for dissent. 
It seemed a very harsh decision by referee Jared Gillett, not least as Lamina's teammates Ruben Neves and João Moutinho were voicing their disgruntled feelings, much closer to the referee when the card was shown. Julen Lopetegui made two changes at halftime to try and help Wolves mount a second-half comeback with Adama Traore and Hugo Bueno replacing Ainuri and Moutinho. A fantastic save from José Sá kept Wolves in the game in the second half and it proved crucial as a spell of forward pressure and chaos featuring substitutes Diego Costa and Adama Traore resulted in the arrival of fresh momentum and a real panic in the Saints' defence. With Wolves drawing level in the 72nd minute through a Jan Bednarek own goal. But the best was still to come as debutant Joao Gomez, who had come off the bench with 20 minutes to go, scribed another script into his cult hero status and sent the away end into raptures with just four minutes remaining. The midfielder's initial shot was blocked, but after the ball came back to him, he steadied himself before dispatching a clinical shot into the corner. That was the last action of note, leaving a wolf side which had shown plenty of character and attacking intent to celebrate in front of the delighted away fans. After the dust settled, Wolves boss Julen Lopetegui spoke of his disappointment with Lemina's first half dismissal, but praised his team for their big heart and fighting spirit as their recent improvement continued with a sensational win at Southampton. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have... The quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. What were fig rolls first invented as? And the answer? A health food. Question two. How were biscuits used to sweeten the breath? And the answer here is, they were dunked in sweet wine. Question three, what was used to flavour the first biscuits? And the answer here is, musk and aniseed. Question four, who were gingerbread men modelled on? And the answer, Guy Fawkes. Question five, which biscuit manufacturer is credited with inventing digestive biscuits? And the answer, of course, is McVitie's. And finally, question six. Where on the Isle of Wight gives its name to a biscuit? And the answer is Osborne House. How did you get on? Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you once again. Bye for now. After her mother's death, Scottish author Liz McIntyre-Allen and hundreds of World War II love letters sent from her father Alex to her mother Nan. She turned them into a touching bestseller that recalls what life was like for couples separated in wartime. Here Liz reads part one of four of a shortened version of her successful book, Love Letters from a Desert Rat. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK My name is Liz McIntyre and I'm here to tell you a true family story. It begins in the sad fact that I never knew my dad. My dad was Alec McIntyre. He was born and brought up in Springburn and he was one of many thousands taken away during World War II. 
Growing up with my mum, Nan, the south side of Glasgow, she would only mention Alec now and again at random. Someone like Jim Reeves would come on the radio and she would say, oh, he's got a good voice. Your dad had a good voice. But I never really asked much more. I think I realised that Nan didn't want to talk much about Alec. And perhaps as her daughter, I realised that was a sad time in her life and I didn't want to upset her ever. In the last few months of her life, we were able to keep her at home in our wee flat and one afternoon she was sitting in her bed trying to be bright, I think for my sake really. And from nowhere she said, there are things of your dad's at the back of the wardrobe. Of course, that wasn't the time to say, let's have a look. That was the time to change the subject and tidy up her pillows, make her a cup of tea. But I lodged it away and I knew that back of that wardrobe would need to be explored. So we lost Nan and with my teenage children by my side, we went to the back of the wardrobe and we found some very precious items, an old suitcase with memorabilia of Alec's life and his wartime and his interests. And the other thing didn't look very special at the time. It was an old shoebox with brown paper on top, tied with a nice double knot. She was good with knots, Nan. And when we pulled back the brown paper lid, we found crammed together in the shoebox what proved to be about 300 letters, all written by Alec McIntyre, my dad, back to Glasgow, to Nan, his wife, who was there in Glasgow, down by the docks and the Paisley Road toll all through the war. And that became a private plan of mine to start looking at the letters to see what Alec was experiencing during World War Two, and I think above all to find the man I'd really never known in my life. And I'm reading these letters and I'm reading about El Alamein and I'm reading about Tobruk and I'm reading about the lorries he tried to keep going in the desert. And I reached a letter he'd written in October 1942, round about the time of Tobruk and El Alamein. And in this letter he says, Nan, make sure you look after my letters because one day I'm going to write a book. And I thought, I can do that. So I'm going to share some of Alex's letters to you. I hope you'll enjoy their story. And by the way, he comes back so you can relax a little. And if you hear me turning the pages, well, that's because the letters became a book and it became a bestseller. To begin at the beginning, they were a very ordinary couple. He was from Springburn. She was from the South Side. They met at the Albert Ballroom in 1938. They had a dance. It was love and life was going to be just great. And then the war began. And the first letter that we found in the shoebox was this letter. And I'm going to give you a flavour of his words to Nan as they were separated for many years. The spring of 1940. Well, Nan, I must apologise for my first note. I've managed to buy some ink since then. And it does make a difference, Nan. I can spell better. 
You see, Nan, I've not received any mail from you, and I should like a reply, and I'm very lonely down here, Nan. I'm miles from anywhere, and I'm writing this sitting in a small hut on the moors with the aid of a paraffin lamp, and I'm being left in peace to write to you, Nan. And you'll have noticed, Nan, that I'm no letter writer. I just can't put down on paper all the things I should like to. The only gift I seem to have is that of the gab. Well, Nan, how are you enjoying the blackout? You have no fear of me breaking my promise, as I look on you as my girl. And I'm looking forward to being home and seeing you again, believe it or not. Good night, Nan. Yours faithfully, Alec. That letter was written in the spring of 1940. He was down in England helping to build aerodromes. But, of course, he wasn't going to stay in Britain very much longer. And by the December of 1940, he writes this to Nan. Nan, I've arrived at Nottingham and I've been given fresh leave and it's embarkation leave. And I know it's not too good, Nan, but you remember that old chin. And you keep your chin up, Nan. And Nan, here's another thing. If you want to be Mrs McIntyre before I go away, you better make your mind up. Ha, ha. However, Nan, apart from joking... If it would make you happy, if it's what you want, let me know when I see you. I'll leave it to you. Please don't make a mistake, Nan, because all I want is to see you happy. Tell the family I was asking for them, but keep all my love to yourself. Yours always, Alec. P.S. This isn't much of a love letter, Nan, but it's the best I can do. Are you ready to get moving? Well, let's hope so, because up now, we have the ten-day workout. Hello everyone, this is 10 Today, a 10-minute set of exercises to do at home to help keep yourself active. Before we get to today's presenter, a couple of housekeeping points to note. The 10 Today project is funded by the Big Lottery and Sport England, and when you're doing the exercises, it's important that you don't push yourself too far, and by taking part, you agree to 10 Today's terms and conditions. You can read these terms and conditions at tnflink.uk forward slash 10t and the 10t is the digit 1, the digit 0 and the letter T. And please remember that you agree to take part at your own risk. Today's exercises are brought to you by Jeff and here he is. Hello everyone, welcome to 10 Today, broadcast number 3, where we focus on stretching. This is a short 10 minute physical activity routine which will get you moving and stretching. It's great for your health, including improving your balance and building up your strength. Just take it at your own pace. There's plenty of options. If an exercise feels too much, just take it easy and have a break. All the exercises can be done either standing up or sitting down. Just do whatever feels good for you today. We want you all to do the exercise safely. You are responsible for monitoring how you are feeling throughout the session. If you feel any discomfort or pain, if you feel unwell or dizzy or experience palpitations, then please stop and seek medical advice. Please remember, you agree to take part at your own risk. If remaining seated, at least to begin with, it would be a good idea if you can use a hard chair that you can sit upright in preferably without arms 
which can get in the way of some exercises. With your feet flat on the floor, if you are standing up, just step your feet hip width apart, relax your shoulders and stand up nice and tall and take a couple of deep breaths. If you're sitting down, place both feet on firmly on the floor, keep your back straight, relax your shoulders and take a couple of deep breaths in and out, in and out. So we're going to start with calf stretch. So if you're standing, have your feet facing forward and step your right foot out in front of you with your foot flat on the floor. And then bend into the right leg, keeping your other leg straight. Put your hands on your right thigh and hold this position, feeling that stretch in your other leg. If you're sitting, straighten out your right leg and place your heel on the floor so your toes are pointing upwards. Keep your left leg bent with your foot flat on the floor and put your hands on your right thigh and lean forward. You should feel that nice stretch in your straight leg. The important thing about stretching is that when you feel the muscle starts to stretch, just hold it there. Don't take it any further. So hold that stretch for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now we're going to swap legs. If you're standing with your feet facing forward, step forward with your left leg and bend into that left leg, keeping your other leg straight. The weight should be on the left foot. And if you're sitting, straighten out the left leg and put your heel on the floor and your toes pointing up and then keep your right leg bent. Put your hands on your bent thigh and lean your chest slightly forward into the stretch. You should feel a nice stretch in your straight leg. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, Six, five, four, three, two, one. Next, we're going to do a hamstring stretch. Feet facing forward. Step forward with your right foot, placing your foot out in front of you with your foot flat on the floor. Keep this leg straight. Then bend your left leg and put your hands on your hips and just lean the chest forward gently. Remember to keep your back straight. Whether you're sitting or standing, you should feel a nice stretch down the back of your leg. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Then return to an upright position and swap your legs. So this time, step forward with your left foot placing your foot out in front of you. With your foot flat on the floor, then bend your right leg and just lean forward gently. Again, that nice long stretch. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Next up, we have a few head and neck stretches. Starting with the head tilt forward, 
tilt your head gently forward, as if you're nodding, nice and slowly, and then return upright. Just do that a couple more times. So nodding nice and slowly downwards, return upright. Keep going slowly so that you feel a nice stretch in your neck. And the final neck stretch, head rotation. Turn your head to the right slowly, as if you're looking over your right shoulder. Then return to the middle, then return your head left slowly as if you're looking over your left shoulder. And just keep going, looking from left to right, slowly feeling that nice stretch in your neck. So for the next one, bend your right arm and bend it over your head so your hand is touching your back, like you're scratching your back and your elbow is next to your ear. With your other hand, press gently on your elbow and feel that nice stretch in your arm. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, then release. Then do the same on the other side. So bending your arm over your head with your hand on your back and placing the other hand on your elbow and pressing gently. Feeling that nice stretch down your arm. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now we have the side stretch. Stand or sit up tall. Raise your right arm high with your palm facing up. Then lean slightly over to your left side, nicely and slowly. Feeling that stretch all along your right side. Try to keep your body straight and hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now return back to the center. Lean your left hand over, feel that stretch all the way down to your left side. And hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, Five, four, three, two, one. So the next one is chest stretch. So open out both your arms to the side so that your chest sticks out a little and you can feel a nice stretch all the way across your chest. Just a little bit, like a long lost friend coming towards you, you're going to give them a big hug. So keep your arms open, wide, feeling that stretch across your chest. Keep holding it there for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Next up is trunk rotation. What we mean by trunk is your upper body. Stand or sit up, tall, straight back, place your hands on your hips and slowly look to your left. Feeling your upper body rotate, so bring the right shoulder in front and return gently to the centre. And then slowly look to your right, bringing the left shoulder in front, feeling your upper body rotate. Again, we're going to do a few more times, nice and slowly. Great work if you're standing, remember to keep your knees soft. And the final stretch, hugging a tree. Just hold your arms out in front of you, just like you're hugging a tree. 
directly in front of you. Your arms from nice circle in front of you and then cup your hands, putting one hand in front of the other and push your hands together, feeling that nice stretch across the shoulders and arms. Hold for 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now sit up or stand up and return to that nice relaxed posture we had at the beginning. Brilliant! So that's the end of the stretching session. I hope you feel loose and revitalised. Just to finish off, shake it out. Just shake those arms and hands and legs and feet. Great work, everyone. Doing 10 a day, just three times a week, can have great health benefits. It's fun and you'll simply feel better. So do keep going. Thanks for listening. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV4 6AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!